No crying. There's no crying in baseball. card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. What's up, friends? Welcome to episode number 43 of Terrace Talk. Unfortunately, your Milwaukee Brewers are in second place, a half game behind the St. Louis Cardinals um, in the NL Central, half game out of the division here. Um, after a one-in-six-week, um, eight-game losing streak, part of that week, Finally get off the schneid on Sunday afternoon against the Nationals. Fellas, how are we doing? Honestly, not great. This was a <laughs> negative, negative fun baseball week, um, week and a half. But the best thing about baseball is there's always another game the next day. Um, so, yeah, we got the Mets uh, in New York, another big tester. Um, and then uh, we traveled to Cincinnati, so hopefully we can – whoop their ass and kind of get back on track. And then all the Cardinals at home uh, upcoming, which is a huge series. Mitchell, how are you doing, buddy? This is probably the first podcast in like almost a calendar year where we haven't been in first place. If you take out of take out like the first week of the season, I think the Brewers took the division at, well, the Brewers lost the season after April 9th when they lost their first two games in Chicago, but you take that out of play this feels like the first time in like a calendar year where we've done a podcast where we haven't been in first place, which is wild to think about. Yeah. The crazy thing is it's uh, the Cardinals, you know, last week I kind of said they, they had forced the issue Um, this week. That was not the case. They also weren't very good themselves um, and still were able to overtake us after after we got our asses handed to us by the, the Phillies um, and then lose two of three against the Nationals, which was pretty disheartening, but thankfully come away without without getting swept by the Washington Nationals because that would have been a giant kick to the balls if that was uh, if that was about to happen on Sunday. Yeah, man, there's there's not a uh, you know, we were briefly discussing before this, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of good, obviously, in a week in which you go one in five, um, lose a lot of ball games, but I mean, is there any overwhelming takeaways for, from the week? Like, well, let me ask you this. What's the panic meter from both of you? How worried are we about, uh, your 2022 Milwaukee Brewers? I'm like six out of 10 worried just because the, the pitching has usually been our strong suit when our offense has been letting us down. We're all, we're always in games. But our uh, holes in the bullpen are kind of rearing its ugly head. We haven't gotten great starts um, outside of our guy, Jay Alexander. But 
I'm like a six, six out of 10. I'm a pretty optimistic guy if uh, you couldn't tell, but um, yeah, kind of nervous a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because it feels like to me, like, and this, this is going to be, this has kind of been my feeling all year where it feels like it's going to be very hard to determine at least in the deadline. Could we could shake some, some things up and make some trades where I feel like the, the roster is better, but it feels like our record is going to be inflated for a majority of the year, just for how bad the central is. Like I could really easily see us winning 95, 96 games still. And I still could have a significant worry going into the playoffs similar to, well, I wouldn't say similar to last year, but it's just so tough when you play Cincinnati, Pittsburgh and Chicago so much that it's like at, you would think at some point uh, outside of the little losing streak that we've been on, we'll set the ship right and continue to beat those teams where it's like, you know, if you win 95 games, but you know, a majority of those wins are coming from, the lesser opponents in your division, how confident are you? So I'll say, I'll say I'm in buses range where, and I, I don't know if I will sway too much higher than that or too much lower than that until um, it feels like our, either our offense is turning a corner or we make some impact deadline moves that I feel like, you know, Hey, now we have some pieces to, to, you know, really power through what kind of what we're seeing now. So. Do you think this, kind of skid that we've been on is going to force an earlier move or a bigger splash move um, based on kind of where we are in the standings or is it probably the same as if we were six games up still yeah I was uh I was kind of yeah you know honestly last year we traded for Willie May 21st um, when we were struggling I would like to think that uh, David Stearns is treading his tires on uh, on a few trade options right now. I mean, we we pretty much have needs in all three facets of the game at this rate, which is it kind of sucks to say. Um, but I mean, this like Eric Lauer has had a really bad stretch. I mean, his full season numbers are still pretty solid: five and two, three thirty six. Um, but all of a sudden his velo is back down to where it was last year. Like he, he's not zooming the ball and like his stack cast page is pretty underwhelming. A lot of blue on it. Um, you know, then having that whole Hauser hasn't been fantastic. Um, Corbin Burns, not even making it through five innings, back to back starts is, is tough as well. Woody being down Peralta being down. Um, I mean, Christ, we're starting Jason Alexander as one of our five starting pitchers right now. Shouts, uh, shouts to Jason Alexander, by the way. Yeah, seriously. I mean, one of the guys putting together some decent starts. I mean, he doesn't get the win because he only went four and two thirds yesterday, but kept the Brewers in the game and um, ultimately ended the, the losing streak. But that was a long winded answer to your question. I would like to think that we're, you know, in the works was getting something done here in the next few weeks. You talked about that trade thing. And I think the one thing I, that we haven't been accustomed to at least over the last three to four years is not having really a deep bullpen this year. I think dating back to probably 2017, you could always chalk up the Brewers bullpen from being one of the best. And I thought it was funny because I think Bleacher Report just released an article about best bullpens and they still had the Brewers in there. 
And maybe if you look at the eighth and ninth inning, you probably throw Boxberger in that too. But I think this year that what's been different than other years is we don't have the depth this year that we typically saw. Like we need to find one of those, you know, Hunter Strickland type waiver claims or moves where, you know, you kind of have that next tier of relievers that you can still trust. Even last year, Brent Suter was pretty good. Um, and he seems to really fallen off this year. Jake Cousins last year, and now he's hurt this year. So we really don't have anyone, at least personally, I don't trust anyone outside of box Devin Williams and Hayter. Um, and in order to be successful, the way the game has kind of changed, you need to have, you know, more than three arms in your bullpen. So I, I could see us making a bullpen move uh, before the deadline um, here pretty quick. So do you think it's like an automatic bullpen move is where we're going to go or do you think they're going to go offense maybe another starter? And then what would, what do you think is going to happen? What, what was, what would be your preference? Um, I could see them going the bullpen route because I mean, I saw Woodruff was throwing this, this weekend. I mean, his, him coming out with, uh, is it Renard syndrome? Is that how you say that? I honestly have no idea. I have never heard of it before. Raynods. Raynods. Okay. I mean, that, that's a serious thing, especially if it's popping up when it's warm. I think it's pretty common more when it's cold outside and you just can't get blood flow in your hands. But if we're now getting to peak summer and Woodruff is having issues with blood flow in his, in his fingers, that seems to be a pretty big concern. So um, to your point, boss, with Peralta being out till probably August, uh, who knows what's going on with Woodruff? Maybe a starter is the way to go. I yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like we definitely need to add multiple arms at this point, whether it's a starter and bullpen pieces, all bull, or all bullpen pieces. Yeah, Raynods is a problem that causes decreased blood flow to the fingers. So yeah, the spasms happen in response to cold, stress, or emotional upset. Interesting. Yeah, that was something I didn't exactly uh, expect to see because they were like, everything's progressing well, and then this pops up um, kind of concerning, especially with uh, being your horse and one of your Cy Young candidates in the rotation, um, you know, every year, the last few years. So that's uh, that was pretty tough to see. You know, and to answer Buss's question, I, I think you go, you get a couple of bullpen pieces, dude. Bullpen pieces, I feel like, are always flipped around at the deadline. Um, there's someone throwing the ball well, you know, somewhere on a non-contender that will give our 30th best prospect in the organization for someone that we haven't even heard of for a half season of a Hunter Strickland-esque arm. Um, I'm still looking for that difference-making bat, personally. I think the organizational depth, if we can get some of these guys back and, like, I would still like to see Ethan Small again um, before, you know, we go outside. I, I also can see us picking up a solid number four or five rotation arm. I mean, at this point, um, you know, things, our ducks aren't all in a row where there's, like I said, there's needs across the board. I wouldn't be mad with anything at, right now. Um. Cool. I guess uh, can we try to can we try to garner up some uh, some positivity for the week? <laughs> I'm for that. All right. Cool. Do you want to you want to start us off? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll 
I'll start with it feels like at least the offense is now healthy. We got Omar back. We got Hunter back, even though Colton Wong just went to the IL. So I think the biggest thing is just having a, a consistent lineup out there where, you know, and this isn't meant to be a stray at guys like Pablo Reyes or, or Mark Mathias and those guys, but it's just nice when you can consistently have, you know, the guys that you expected to get a majority or ABs out there. Uh, it feels like we take that for granted and, and we've always done a good job of having depth, uh, but it just felt like over the last couple of weeks with, no Omar, no Hunter, Willie's been out a month. It's just, it felt like every day the lineup would go out and you're like, wow, like I don't see anyone in this lineup right now where it's like, okay, there's some runs right there. It felt like yesterday was the first day where I looked at that lineup and I was like, okay, it feels like we can score some runs today. Um, so I, I'll, I'll, maybe that's a kind of cop-out answer, um, but the fact that we're getting healthy, at least offensively, um, hopefully that allows the bats to kind of turn for the better. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, mine, I mean, I'll, I'll just go with Christian Yelich. I mean, it's a easy answer. There wasn't a whole lot to, to get excited about this week, but he did have that three hit game on Saturday. Um, he had a, a pretty solid five game stretch here. Um, they actually let him off, um, which is interesting. We can talk about that a little bit too. Um, but every time, like, and we play this game hot and cold with him, you know, hot for a week, cold for three, but a pop off of that one, like that one week, you always turn to those underlying numbers and you're like, okay, maybe like, maybe this is sustainable. Cause here I am again, finding myself like, so we have, if you multiply his home runs and steals by 2.6, which is the room, like we're 38% through the season, he'd be hitting like 16 homers, 24 steals, so a potential like 2020 range, which when it's all said and done, obviously not exactly what you're looking for for what we're paying him. Um, but you would almost take like if he can get his OPS a little higher than what it is, 800, say, and he's hitting 2020. I mean, we would take that at this point. Yeah, uh, I mean, so yeah, see why. C, C is name. Right yeah, yeah, you said his name. So he's just C. He's now back to plus one. Um, so that, that's a good sign. But just another point on, on Yelich, and it's been a small sample size, um, but since moving him out of the three spot, I'm just looking primarily at when he hits first and when he hits second. I mean, there's only 30 at-bats, so who knows? It could end up leveling out. Um, but when it comes to him hitting first in the lineup, his OPS is 980. When he bats second, it's 1.208. And when he bats third, it's six or 0.651. So maybe there's something to that just mentally, even from a pressure standpoint, he doesn't feel like he's in that spot where he consistently needs to hit for an high, a high OPS. I mean, obviously we would like that, but I think at this point, all of us will take just a guy that, you know, is in the mid to upper eights and is just finding a way to, even if it's just doubles now, um, just getting extra base hits and getting on base for Adamus and, and Urias and, and Rowdy to give the, those guys chances to drive him in. So um, again, only 38 Bs, but maybe there's something to that with him staying out of the three hole. So even when Colton Wong gets back, I would like to see Yelich continue to stay in either that first or second spot in the lineup. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there wasn't really much other positive besides Jason Alexander, which you already touched on, Yelich. Um, 
I don't know if this is necessarily a positive, but I feel like during this streak we've had guys on and we were just lacking that one big hit, which was kind of a theme of last year uh, with how bad we were with runners in scoring position. I think we loaded the bases on Saturday and then Rowdy hit one like 113 off the bat. It was a line out to the right side of the infield. We've just been lacking that one clutch hit that kind of opens the floodgates. Um, so we've had opportunities, but we just haven't been cashing in. And when our arms aren't right, you got to cash in at those vital moments in the game. Yeah, when do you uh, – I, I I agree with that. Um, when do you think we see, like, Bryce Terang instead of, like, a Mark Mathias? Like, I, I know he's not, like, pushing the envelope. Like, he's – it's in 270 with like a, a little lower than a 700 OPS. So he's not hitting for a lot of power, but just for like a different look, man, just a little spark of energy, like maybe gets up here, steals some bags, flashes some defense. Like how many times do we need to see Pablo Reyes and Mark Mathias? And also Bryce Terang is not a guy that I don't think we necessarily need to care about like service time with. Right. Not at this point either. That, that was the, the only thing that I could think of was that they didn't feel like they could get him enough consistent at bats where it would like stunt his development. But you're talking about a guy that's been in our minor league system for quite some time. He's been a top five. Now. Right. He's been a top five prospect for us ever since we drafted him. So it's almost just like I'm with you there where it's like I would rather see him out there than to the likes of Reyes and Matthias, like you were saying. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I mean, Matthias and Reyes, I mean, what are we on, like year three, four of those guys? It's like, I know they're just quadruple A guys that play sparingly, but whenever you see them, it's like, uh, was, we got to do this again. Was Matthias the guy that hit fourth for us in the 2020 playoffs in that elimination game against the Dodgers, or was it someone else? No, it was someone else, the dude that played for the Mariners. Um, he's like he's playing in I think the Korean league or in Japan now I think oh what is his name it's gonna bother me he's out oh Ryan Healy that's who it was Ryan Ryan (laughs) R-Y-O-N oh man what a name one other positive and this has been dated back to the start of May um Devin Williams has really turned it on he's given up three earned runs since uh May 1st hasn't given up a run yet in June. Um, that's kind of a guy where I think he did this last year too, where he started super slow, but we're starting to see, uh, you know, prime time Devin Williams. So that's a, another thing where it's just like, we just, if we get it to the eighth inning with a lead, it's pretty much game over. And it's been that way for the last couple of years, just these last two and a half weeks, we haven't been able to get to the eighth with the lead. It's just like, it's such an advantage when you can shorten the game that way. It just feels like we've consistently been getting behind in games and we can't get to our A bullpen. Um, so it, even if we're not scoring runs, it would be nice if our starters could start putting some quality starts together where we're winning the two to one games where we can turn it over to Box, Williams, and Hayter. So that was another positive, I think, over the last six weeks is Devin Williams is really starting to shape into what we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, Devin Williams' stack cast page is actually absurd. I mean, it's lit up, dark red, pretty much everything. Um, upper 90s in pretty much all the categories. Um, he's not even throwing all that hard. I mean, like, I feel like a couple years ago when he first came up, like, what, 97, 98? I feel like it's, like, mid-90s now. If that his fastball velocity is 53rd percentile, 
it's one of the only things that isn't red on there. Um, so, I mean, he's doing that with the, he just throws that change up. It says 54% of the time, um, and the four seamer 43% of the time up in the zone and the change ups down and the heat map is like, so spot on, like he's locating that change up, um, incredibly well right now. And same with the fastball and he's, uh, he's killing it, man. I mean, he's, he's racked up those four saves with Josh out, but yeah, 40 strikeouts and 24 innings um we're we're pretty shut down like you said once we get to the eighth and ninth inning there Mm -hmm. and now uh i mean we can we can jump to we did find some good there we go so we got just a quick recap we're getting healthier c had a decent week and devin williams um continues to be one of the best setup men in baseball so we got those three good things out of the way Um, we could probably each do two of these but we could stick to one. What's what's your guys' one bad thing of the week? Mitch, you got to go first because I got to narrow down my bads. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start it with this. I'll start it with a roundtable discussion. It's more of a question for, for the group. I'm looking at OPSs, individual hitters across the league, sorted by 100 minimum plate appearances. So we're talking still quite a bit at bats. Who has the best OPS on the team and where does it rank in the MLB in terms of hitters? I'm going to say Rowdy Telez. I want to say it's a shade below 800 and ranking in hitters. Is this, does they have to be qualified or just all hitters? Min a hundred plate appearances. So pretty oh, much, okay. pretty okay. much almost everyday players. All right. I'll stick with Rowdy. Um, like I said, shade under eight, and I'll say 88th in baseball. Pretty close. <laughs> Plus, what's, your guess? what's your guess? I'll say uh, – It's not Rowdy, it's, though. Rowdy doesn't have the highest OPS on the team. Okay. I want to say Victor Caratini, but I don't know if he's got 100 at-bats. Yeah. I would lean no. I would guess no. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would say no. I don't think he does. He's probably close, but I would guess he'd be like 820, 825 OPS-wise. Yeah, our highest is Omar Navarez at 788. Uh, Rowdy Telez was 79th in the MLB at 780, but Omar's at 788, and he ranks 70th, just ahead of Santiago Espinal from Toronto and Trevor Lunch from Minnesota. So that just goes to show we don't have a single hitter in the top 70 of all of baseball when it comes to OPS. So it's just like we have a lot of average hitters that seemingly all went cold at the same time, but that's kind of where my negative is. It's just like we don't have a single guy in our lineup right now where I feel like we can rely on to consistently, you know, put the ball in play even. Um, we're, we're striking out. I, I didn't look at the Team K percentage, but it's got to be up in the – top half of the league or the top third of the league for for strikeouts um but that's just kind of my negative is that we don't have one guy this year offensively that's kind of carrying the load even for a a small segment of time last year when we traded for willie it felt like willie was that guy and then yelich before that but this year our best hitter ranked 70th in the league in terms of ops i mean it's just it's very tough to have good offensive numbers when your best hitter ranks 70th I feel like that's kind of how we're built, though, where you get a walk and a doink single and then someone hits a bomb and everyone just kind of waiting, waiting around for someone to square one up. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what this lineup is. It's a lot of average hitters. But the problem is, is all of our average hitters seem to have gone on a cold streak over the last two weeks, which is tough. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and, you know, typically we were able to get away from these long losing streaks with, you know, the elite pitching that we've had. But obviously this week it wasn't exactly the case. Um, my negative, I, I already mentioned Eric Lauer. I mean, I think he's had a tough little stretch here. Um, you know, we talk on a, on a national level. I mean, what was his, you know, like a 12, 13 strikeout game earlier and he got the fantasy baseball pod treatment because his velocity was up, um, started to garner some national attention and all of a sudden that velocity is gone. Um, and he was on kind of their bad of the weekend uh, when I listened this morning. Um, some guys, you know, to potentially drop because he's kind of just turning into a borderline starter um, that he's always been. I hope that's not the case, um, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on as, on, on as his velocity keeps trending downward. I mean, he got shelled by the Washington Nationals, um, which is uh, not a phenomenal lineup, honestly. So that was, uh, that was tough to see. Lane Thomas, dude, that guy's going to give me nightmares for a while. Yeah, he always kills us. He's a brutal killer for sure. What I didn't, I honestly didn't watch the <clears throat> Ashby start. What happened? He got nickel and dime pretty good. I mean, like, and <laughs> to bring up that same podcast, um, when they brought up Ashby's performance from the weekend, they just said, Don't worry about it, keep on starting him. He's a stud. Um, I think he gave up a triple that was like 80 miles per hour off the bat, they mentioned. Um, gave up a lot of singles, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't look too much into that one, but I'm also an Ashby guy. So I'll turn it over to Mitch and see if he has any more takes on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just from a underlying data perspective, and I know you can take it with for what it's worth, but Ashby's FIP is a lot better than his ERA. That just kind of means just to your point that he's ran into some pretty bad luck because it's very rare to see a FIP lower, significantly lower than an ERA, which um Ashby's currently is so I'm I'm kind of in that boat with you his K percentage is still really good he still has those three pitches where uh I'm not too concerned about him at all yeah yep good I'm glad we're on the same page there I did look up uh, a little tidbit today um and this has been a kind of like a a season-long bad of the week per se when we do this segment um Lorenzo Kane is done, man. I mean, I, I looked it up. I saw he had a negative 0.7 F war. Um, so I had to dig deeper and see how many players there are with worse numbers than that in baseball. There's only six worse than Lorenzo Kane right now. And that's, um, with a, that's with positive defensive metrics too. That just goes to that, show how bad he is offensively. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty bad. And the person that I was surprised to see pretty close to him was Andrew McCutcheon at a negative 0.6 F war. Um, so obviously his defense isn't doing him any favors. Not that his bats been particularly impressive this year. Um, but when you have two of your highest paid players on the team, some aging outfielders in a position where, you already have Christian Yelich playing some of the worst defense in major league baseball, like run prevention as a unit is supposed to be like a brewer's strength. 
in general. Um, and I think our outfield is extremely lacking in the defensive and offensive compartments this year. I mean, Hunter Renfro has been okay. I mean, you can't really complain about his defense. I mean, it hasn't been fantastic, but you knew what you're getting yourself into. He's just got a cannon arm. Um, T-Rat plays solid defense out there when he's playing. Uh, but those other guys are, are big time negatives defensively. Um, and then just overall for Locaine and hopefully McCutcheon maybe figured something out over the weekend. He had a couple of decent games. Um, but it sucks when we broke the bank for McCutcheon and we're paying Locaine broke the bank. I say sarcastically, by the way, um, and we're paying Locaine $15 million. Um, it's just, it's just tough to see those two struggle as badly as they have. It's funny that you say broke the bank because it made me think of something that we haven't really talked about and they're kind of used as scapegoats. I don't, I, I personally, I mean, I'm sure they help hitters with a lot, but remember before the season started when we hired two hitting coaches, like, I don't know what the data shows offensively in terms of our guys numbers, but you talk about Penny Pincher Mark now paying two hitting coaches. I don't know if both of them are making the same salary as say what Andy Haynes was, but for a guy that seems to cut costs everywhere for him to hire two hitting coaches and to really see no improvement as an offensive team. I know offense is down across the league. Um, and again, take that with a grain of salt because I don't know. I mean, it's, it's on the hitters more than anything. And I feel like hitting coaches are more scapegoats than anything, but having two hitting coaches and essentially having a worse offense this year is just kind of a tough look for an owner. That's pretty much, you know, looking for, spare pennies <laughs> yeah that's a good point to piggyback yeah, I, I was always team hitting coaches don't matter so right yeah what it's saying go ahead to piggyback off to piggyback off that do you think i have two questions do you think lorenzo kane is on the team by the end of the year and do you think andrew mccutcheon is an everyday player for us for the entire season <sighs> I would like to say no to each, but the <laughs> thing is, I'm probably like, yeah, I think so. I don't envision us. I mean, we're the Milwaukee Brewers, right? So we don't typically have these long contracts that, you know, these final years are this dire, I guess. Um, but I can't, I certainly can't remember a time in which the Brewers have ever did like what the Mets did this year with Robinson Cano, you know, when they're just eating that money, not having them play for the team and playing for a different team. Like I, I, I just don't see us doing that with Locaine. I could see, I think the most realistic possible scenario is us trading one for a impact bat where we give up higher prospects to get someone back similar to what we did with Boston, where we gave up Jackie Bradley jr. To get back on a Renfro, but we attached some higher prospects. So I could see us doing that. The question becomes is who is the one that's more likely to get traded. And part of me thinks that like, at least at this point, and I know questions K percentage was super high, but I wonder how much say Mark Antonazio has in a guy like Andrew McCutcheon, where like he's been so vocal about, how important he was. And I still think McCutcheon's an awesome dude, great for the locker room, all those kind of things. But I wonder if they didn't kind of, if Mark Antonazio didn't feel that way about McCutcheon, would he still be getting the at-bats that he's getting in the DH? Because they've been penciling him in that pretty much every game, besides for when he plays the outfield every now and then. 
but I think the most likely scenario may be like a, I think it almost makes too much sense, which is something the Brewers never do. They always kind of pull moves that no one's expecting, but like a, ascending Lorenzo Kane to Kansas city with a higher prospect for Andrew Benatendi for the last three, four months, I think makes a ton of sense. But again, that's, it just, it never seems to work out that way for us. Um, They're going to do something completely out of left field, right. Where no one knows, like we'll get a a starting pitcher for prospect. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're going to do something that no one expects. Right. (laughs) But I think the thing that makes the most logical sense would be to us to trade one of those attach a higher prospect to save the six or $7 million that they'd try to do. Yeah, man, attach one of those outfielders, like attach Garrett Mitchell with Lorenzo Cain and get Ben Attendee and another player from the Royals, you know? Right. Like The Brewers are all of a sudden, you know, very deep in their farm system at outfield, especially um, with the emergence of Jackson Chorio and um, obviously Sal Freelick, Garrett Mitchell, Joey Weimer, um, all those guys, big time outfield prospects. Bring home that weirdo. Uh, God, I just totally lost his name. Grant, bring, bring home Granky. <laughs> the, hey, I, yeah, yeah, bring him home, dude. I'll I'll take Granky making a couple starts. Why not? <laughs> yeah. What has he done this year? Probably dog shit. Yeah, he hasn't pitched that well, and he got. I think he got like thirteen million this year from the Royals too. Oh, so that wouldn't even make sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a it was a good idea. Maybe we'd still do it. You never know. <laughs> Trade salary for salary, right? All right. Now I lost my my train of thought. Did uh did bust? Did you give your bat of the week, or you still got to go? Right? Oh yeah, I didn't go yet. Amongst other things, um, <laughs> I mean, we kind of touched on it. It's just that middle of the game pen arms that we're rolling out there with. Yeah. Luke Barker and Tra- Kelly. That's been bad. Um, yeah. And those we, two dudes, they throw them like 14 innings and their combined ERA is like 12 or 13 or something like that. It's just that middle of the, middle of the game that we can't, if we get a short start from our starter, we're going to that, either those two guys, Suter, and it's just have not, we DFA'd, not ideal. Have we DFA'd Trevor Kelly yet? I don't know. I think he's still on. He's still on the <laughs> roster his career it's only he's only pitched like 25 30 innings in his mlb career but i think his career era in the mlb is like 12 yeah he's got a 10.38 era and a 9.48 fit in eight innings he's worth negative five negative 0.5 war in eight innings pitched yeah, that's uh, that's not gonna do it. I mean, it's pretty telling. Just like if you pull up our team's pitching page on Fangraphs, like the people that the the bullpen arms that you do trust at this point are all over positive WAR, I should say. So, got Milner, Boxberger, Devin Williams, Hater. Those are the guys positive in WAR. The rest of the bullpen. I mean, these guys have been in and out, but J.C. Mejia, John Del Gustave, Luke Barker, Jose Arena, R.I.P., Miguel Sanchez, and Trevor Kelly. I mean, those are six names that are essentially hurting your team every time they pitch. 
like Perdomo is zero. Suter is exactly at zero. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not very good. We're not as deep as we typically are. And obviously when you lose guys like Jake Cousins um, for extended period of time, like, uh, man, I forgot this guy's name last podcast too, that other indie ball guy that's out for the year. Justin Topa. Yeah. So like those two guys, big time potential, cool stories. Um, unfortunately hurt for the year. Like we could really use cousins and Justin Topa right now to kind of be those bridge guys. Cause that we're like bus said, we're extremely lacking in that category at the moment. Yeah. It just feels like they get down maybe three to one, four to one, where you have to use those guys. And before you know it, now you're down nine, one, eight, one, and the game's over where it doesn't even give your offense a chance to climb back into the game. It's like, I think on Saturday was one of those games where it was like three to one, four to one, the starter came out and then you kind of throw in those other guys and it's eight one. And then the Brewers offense starts get going. I think they ended up losing eight, six, but by that point you just don't have a shot. So those are kind of the, the games that are not talked about because you see it as eight, one as the final score it ended up being eight, six, but now you have no shot of coming back into those games. I think good teams find a way to keep the games at least within striking distance. And then you kind of hope your offense just catches fire late and you uh, win those comeback games. And the Brewers haven't been able to do that because of the arms they've been throwing out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man, it was a pretty underwhelming league. I mean, on the bright side, it looks like the Cardinals knock on wood are, potentially gonna go down tonight to the pirates um they're losing five to zero at least the last time i checked um so by the time people listen to this they've they've heard me say second place brewers we may be in first place again while doing a podcast so stay tuned with that might have been inaccurate as we uh go into uh, st louis just scored five runs in the bottom of the fifth inning it's tied five five (laughs) you're kidding i'm not lying that was like josh Hader last week (laughs) uh yeah we can talk about that quick obviously haters scoreless streak comes to an end um he blew a save a couple of home runs against the phillies it happens better now than uh than going through a whole season and something like that happening in october so he'll be all right obviously saved the game yesterday he's still a monster best closer in baseball it happens yeah Anything else from this week? I mean, just like collectively, I've seen a lot of panic in Brewers Twitter, kind of questioning the organization and some of the philosophies, I guess, as a whole with with hitting. And I think with hitting, I think it's fair. Um, we haven't exactly had uh, in a very effective lineup since 2018, I would say, um, top to bottom. Uh, but the rest of some of the things I've been seeing, like, you know, some whispers uh, in the Brewers' Twitter sphere about council, council's voice being stale, and David Stearns has a lot to blame for this. And obviously, like he's the GM, he puts together these lineups the last few years. Um, but ultimately, I mean, this is just my take, and you guys can uh, kind of expand from there. But I think if you're going to blame anyone right now, um, it's Mark Antanasio. And that's in, and that's for David Stearns. Um, we could assume what type of budget he's been working with the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, just kind of piecing together the quotes with, you know, breaking the bank from a cut in a huge free agent signing and 
And we gave McCutcheon, what, eight and a half, nine million dollars for a single year. Um, I don't know what, how much more fans can expect to get. Obviously, you could use that eight million dollars for someone that's not negative half a win right now for your team, but also um, not really giving him a much of an opportunity to improve the team other than drafts and trades. Um, so that's my two cents. And by the way, if we fire council um, in the midst of a losing streak, just out of a whim, um, I will protest the team and no longer go to any games. So <laughs> for, for a team that's made the playoffs every single year, dating back to 2018, uh, I'm right there with you. I, I think the, the council takes need to stop. I mean, when it comes to managers, I think you, the, the most important thing is to listen to what the players are saying. And it was just what, like two or three weeks ago, right when we were on our hot streak that they kind of, I think Will Salmon, shout out Will Salmon, best writer uh, out there for the athletic. Um, he wrote an article like interviewing a bunch of the players, giving their opinions on CC. And I think 90% of the players he interviewed basically used terms like best manager I've ever had, best communicator, things like that. Like just because you go on a two week stretch of losing ball, which happens pretty much to every team across the league. I don't think that's a reason for council to lose his job, given his track record. Um, so I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It just, it just happened to, to be a, a bad losing streak and, you know, lost to, to some bad teams in that stretch, but um, council would be the last reason. And it's just like, if, if you do fire council, then who you're the most likely candidate is to promote Pat Murphy, a guy that sat under council for five years, who's basically going to be council 2.0 because that's who he's learned everything from. So I really don't see why you would get rid of him. I think it's just a cop-out thing to say and write about too. When the team's not playing well, it's fire the manager immediately, you know? Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it's warranted. Uh, I mean, look at the Phillies right now, like, but I don't know, in this case, like with the ties to the city that council has, he wasn't like a hired gun to come in here for and get a team over the top. Like he's, he's built this from the ground up with this rebuild with David Stern. So it's like, it's a little bit different situation than Joe Girardi in Philadelphia, where you're just going to fire a guy just to pump up your team. Right. And Joe, Joe Madden is the same thing too. You got to look at those organizations. Their payroll is significantly higher and they haven't, when's the last time the Phillies or the angels have made the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that too. I mean, that's obviously not the quick fix. And I, and I didn't see, you know, a ton of people calling for counselor's job or anything. I know there's just like, I came across an article where they, you know, people were floating around the idea and I get you're in this like a losing streak. You have high, you know, essentially like world series or bust aspirations in a small market like Milwaukee um, with how talented our pitching staff is and some of the players that we have. So obviously disappointing losing streak, but let's not, uh, let's not freak out here. Baseball is a long season. Um, this team will get hot again. We're going to be in the hunt with the Cardinals, obviously not ideal, but we'll, we'll be right there. With that being said, I've, like I said, the, I'm putting all my frustration towards Mark Intonacio, Um, and we'll see how the trade deadline goes, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, not a great look with, with those quotes and everything. 
it'll be very telling if this trade deadline comes and goes and our moves are, you know, John Curtis and Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. I mean, Escobar turned out to be okay, but it was just like, those are a bunch of, bunch of moves that were made to try to improve the team by saving as much as possible. Yeah. I won't be okay with just uh, John Curtis and Eduardo Escobar this year. Right. And then, yeah, you can say, you know, all-star player Escobar, but it's like, we know what that is. Like he got hot for a half season. Like he's a good player, um, but he's definitely not like a, a difference maker, you know, like even right now, I mean, he's, he's hitting 240 for the Mets with five home runs. Um, he's pretty much like playing like Christian Yelich, 715 OPS, <laughs> Eduardo Escobar that is. So, I mean, it's nothing crazy that that type of player brings to you. The one thing I will say is this trade deadline feels like there's not, it feels like Wilson Contreras is really the only like superstar move that's out there. Um, I know we talked about Ben Attendee, so they're going to have to think of something or come up with a move that I would think that isn't really being discussed right now. Right. What's the, what's the situation with Devers again? Are the Red Sox like getting back in it? They're like, I think they have the same record as we do. Gotcha. They're 32 and 29. What was that? They're 32 and 29, and they're currently the third wild card team. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Brewers will have to try to get creative here. Even guys like, you know, that I've been pounding the table for, like Cedric Mullins, like, He's having a pretty underwhelming year himself with a OPS under 700 um, playing center field for the Orioles. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we can get creative and find someone. Obviously the the main target that we've been drooling over was Jose Ramirez last handful of years and the guardians locked him up and he apparently loves it in Cleveland. So that kind of seems way out of the question. Um yeah, maybe maybe that's what we do next week. We uh we do some deep dives, find some contracts that we look to attack and come up with some out of the box ideas that, you know, as the trade deadline approaches here, um float some ideas around. Cool, you guys got anything else? I don't know if uh Mitchell, did you have anything to report um other than Jackson Chorio being a guy to follow literally every single night right now? Yeah, he. I mean, he's kind of must-watch TV if you can watch an MILB game. I, you would think within the next couple of weeks he's got to get the call to Appleton soon, right? I mean, I know he's only 18 years old, and I, I heard it. I don't know how true this is, but I heard he's the – I know for a fact he's the youngest guy in professional baseball right now. I also heard that he might be the youngest guy that gets drafted also this year for the draft class that's going to happen here. The draft's in a couple of weeks. Um, which is just wild to think about that you have a guy that's going to be in high A, um, about to be a top 50 prospect in baseball, and he's younger than anyone that's about to get drafted, which is which is just crazy. Um, the other name, the only other name that I do want to call out is Tyler Black. He's yeah. a, a middle infield from uh, uh, the Hanson family-owned Horizon League. Um, <laughs> that guy has been hitting the ball um, – Pretty much since last year, he struggled a little bit, but uh, he's in Appleton um, and has like a 868-70 OPS. It's right around 300. He's probably our second baseman of the future. 
Um, so he's kind of another name to watch as he climbs the the farm system. I don't think we've given him a shout out over the last couple of weeks. So Tyler Black was really the only other prospect that I wanted to highlight. Yeah, man, Tyler Black, he can run a little bit. Um, got 11 steals on the year. He's got an 861 OPS. Um, Jackson, Cheerio, uh, and honestly, I'm not even sure how well we're pronouncing his name. We'll eventually figure that one out um as we start hearing it a lot more but once he gets called to Appleton I mean that's that's going to be someone and I haven't even done this ever to be honest but um that I'll definitely have to go out of my way and make a few trips up to see that guy play in person just to to say that you did because seeing some of those names on those tweets I think like cream city prospects is the one that keeps on tweeting them out um but it's like the youngest or the 18 year olds with the type of OPSs that he's putting up in single A is like Trout, Ronald Acuna, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis, like guys that simply did not miss as major leaguers. Um, so it's uh it's pretty exciting that the Brewers might have uh one of those guys on their hands here in the coming years. It's funny yeah. you say that because the last prospect that I went out of my way to Appleton to make sure I saw play in person was Brett Lowry. So hopefully it's not a Brett Lowry situation. Brett Lowry. Yeah, that was yeah. the one guy I made sure to go to Appleton to watch because he was he was absolutely dominating the low minor leagues and then just never figured it out at the major league level. But it's funny when you said that you couldn't go out of your way to watch him because that made me think of me going to Appleton to watch Brett Lowry. Brett Lowry, what a name. Yeah, first round high school shortstop. Yeah, dude, I remember Brett Lowry. <laughs> we were fired up about that guy. I think we tried converting him to a catcher too. Uh, and then he ended up playing third, I think, for us. And then he ended. he played some time in Toronto too. Yeah, amazingly, he put up like 16 career war. None of it, none of it being for the Brewers, by the way. He was in that Sean Markham trade, I believe. Yep. Turned out pretty well, I guess, for us. Um, yeah, it's funny. Brett Lowry, that's a name drop right there. You know, it was a, a deep dive. <laughs> this, this is a guy from way back in the day. I'm not sure if you guys remember, but uh, I was so fired up about him. I have no idea why. I think I saw like one YouTube video on them and watched like a big 10 game on TV that Indiana starting pitcher, Eric Arnett. Yeah. That ultimately did absolutely nothing. Uh, Brewers first round pick. I need to look up what year this was now. Um, but yeah, that was one of those ones that I was pumped about that turned out to be brutal. I thought you were going to name drop Joe Dillon for a second. <laughs> Joe Dillon. That's another good one. We were, Boston and I were talking about Russell Smith, the like second round pick we drafted two years ago out of TCU and we were watching a TCU game and he's been getting absolutely assaulted in the minor league since we drafted him. So. That big like six foot eight guy? Yeah, the lefty, yeah. I think he has like a six ERA and like lower high A. Yeah, man. Eric Arnett never made it past advanced A as a first round pick and had a career 5.2 ERA in the minors. He finished in rookie ball as a 25-year-old his last year with a 7.5 ERA, and then he hung it up. I mean, sometimes that'll happen, though, but uh, obviously that was that was in 2008 when we drafted him, so I'm, that, was, that was a good 14, 14 years ago. 
<laughs> oh boy on that note you guys got anything else i mean i didn't know we were gonna get into brett lowry and eric garnett tonight but here we are look what a brewer's losing streak does to us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah man um i don't have anything else i mean we got a big week on deck got the mets then we got the reds hopefully you know oh let's do this we didn't do this the last couple of times maybe that's why we sucked what are what are our predictions for the week we're going to be optimistic, boss, or we're going to be uh, down in the dumps, boss? I, I, I'm going to be optimistic. We got Hauser, ha, Burns, and Ashby going. I think we sweep the New York Mets. And then <laughs> just just to get us, the, the Brewers faithful back on board. And then we'll, like, split oh, with the Reds or something. All right. If we sweep the New York Mets, I'll just, I'll just straight up Venmo you 50 bucks. <laughs> So we got the we got the mortgage tracker and we got the the mini Venmo tracker for those <laughs> Mets series. <laughs> Do we have hey what's what's uh I didn't ask you this I we haven't talked about him really much. Um, you have any take on Hauser right now? He's another guy, and I know I've kind of been the the leader of the. Agent. I just have I just have to check in with the leader real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna buy back in if or back in. I haven't really been out. I haven't been in really. But tell me, tell me how I should feel about him. He's another one of those guys that has been pitching better than what his ERA says. And I think maybe we've just grown, or I guess his his FIP is now a little bit higher. But he's actually been pitching, and I know Lauer's last couple starts have have ballooned him, but uh, he's got a better war than Eric Lauer does and his ERA is still under four and I think that's probably if Hauser can go the entire year with having a sub four ERA given you know everything that he's been and and all that kind of stuff I think that's acceptable right I mean I don't think we're expecting him to be I mean he was really pitching well from July of last year through the start of May this year but I mean, if, if Hauser finishes with a sub four ERA this year, I think that's a good year for Hauser, right? I mean, he's not a guy that's going to strike guys out. So he's going to have to rely on some good bat luck. And the reality is, is that there's sometimes he's going to pitch in games where he's not going to get that. So I think yeah. his ERA right now is a 3.92 with a 4-1 FIP. I think if he ended the year at that, we would be pumped for him. Yeah. And also like our, our defense hasn't been all that, uh, that phenomenal either so that obviously affects a guy that's putting the ball in play a lot right because I mean you, you look at two guys that are pretty much similar pitchers Adrian Hauser and Jason Alexander and we talk about how good Jason Alexander's been for us and you know his ERA shows that but Jason Alexander doesn't strike guys out and he relies on the the ground ball double play so it just goes to show when you have pitchers like that they're just so reliant on having a good bat and you know the last couple of weeks, Hauser really hasn't been getting that benefit and, and Alexander has. So. Right. Yep. Um, sorry. We interrupted buses prediction. So we're going to sweep the Mets. Um, what are we going to do with, uh, with the Reds? Three out of four. We play them four times, huh? I think it's four. I think it's the no, Mets it's are two, 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 Wednesday, Thursday. And then. Is no, three games? The, it's probably three. Yeah, the, Car- oh, the Cardinals series is four. Yeah, so it's only – yeah, we got six games, three and three. Yeah. 
I'll say four and two. I'll say we go two and three in both games. The water finds its levels. At some point, we're going to start winning series again. You know, we're two good at teams. And I think we miss uh, Tejan Walker. I think we got Bassett tomorrow, but then the other two Mets starters that we see this week aren't anything special. So I think that plays in, into our favor. And I think, who do we have? Burns, Hauser, and Ashby for the yep. Mets? Yep. Hauser. We got Hauser against Bassett. We got Burns against Peterson. And we got Ashby against Tyler McGill. Yeah. Is Miguel's first first uh, start off? Um, yeah, he's first been trip hurt. back. Yeah, he's been hurt. Yeah, also he just as well. But cool. Well, it sounds good. Well, uh, we'll be back next week. Um, hopefully, with a lot better news than uh, the previous one. And like Mitch said, water finds its level, and the Brewers will bounce back. Man, they just we're gonna will. bring we're gonna bring the fucking fire next week. Fire is going to be burning hot. Best hey, manager, best manager in baseball, baby. It's supposed to be like 97 tomorrow. You know what that means. Dingers. <laughs> Other ones up, birds won't. <laughs> All right, boys. Let's cook. <laughs> let's fucking cook. Let's cook. Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach.